Well, I'm going to ask for a quick show of hands. I'm going to read seven statements. And if you say that's something that I want, if you just raise your hand, everyone watching online as well, if you just where you are, living room, bedroom, wherever you are, if you'd raise your hand as well. How many of y'all would love to have deeper spiritual insight into God's revelation, like deeper spiritual knowledge and insight into God's revelation? All right. These are all, if you don't raise your hand, uh, then there's something wrong here. But how many of y'all would love to have with that revelation, the insight, the knowledge that God gives you, like deeper applications. We call it wisdom, applying God's revelation to your life. How many would love to have more wisdom, more wisdom? All right. How many of y'all would love to have protection from giving into temptation? Anybody want to like protection from giving into temptation? Amen. Online as well. All right. Number four, how many of y'all would love to have the mercy of God, which is basically where you don't get the full brunt of the consequences of your sin? Anybody? Want mercy from God? Amen. Uh, number five is both quality of life, but also quantity of life. How many of y'all want to have a long life, physical life, but also have like just great quality of life as well? Experience of shalom and the wholeness of God. All right. Uh, number six, how many of y'all would love to have both spiritual and physical protection for you and your family? Spiritual and physical protection for you and your family. All right, last one is this. How many of y'all would love to be able to sing, I am a friend of God and really mean it? So how many of y'all would love to have friendship with God, friendship with God? Well, here's the thing. All those things that I just read, the characteristics, the desires that we have are all rooted in one thing, one thing. And that is this, the fear of God, the fear of God. And you're saying, well, what does this mean? We use this word fear. We use the word awesome, I think sometimes too much. What does it mean to be in awe of God or to fear God? And here's the thing. It means to really respect God or to take God seriously, take God and his authority and his word seriously. And when we do that, we can experience those seven things and a whole lot more that we've read. This is one of the major themes of the Bible, both the Old Testament and New Testament. The word fear is used in some variation or form almost 400 times in the Old Testament. Again, often referring to our respect, our reverence, or being in awe of God or taking God seriously. But here's the shift that's happened, I think, in the last maybe 30 or 40 years is uh, thinking about the terror of God, that God is a consuming fire, is not the most comfortable thing to think about, right? If, if we said this, even in Acts chapter 2, uh, the early church, the church in Jerusalem, it says in Acts 2 that they grew in their awe of God, their fear of God, right? They grew in their fear and wonder of God. Now, can you imagine if you told your friends if you invite them to come to Bayou City Fellowship, what was Bayou City Fellowship about? We fear God, right? They'd be like, I don't know if I want to go to church like that, man, you fear God. But here's the shift that's happened because of that. Worship, preaching, ministry, the Bible itself. The Bible is written not as you being the hero of the story. It's not written about a book about you. The Bible, church, ministry, worship, songs, preaching, is all meant to be theocentric. It means God is at the center of it all. God is the one who gets glorified by it all. But there's been a shift as we've moved more towards, like I mentioned last week, a more of a consumeristic church to being theocentric to more now meocentric. We've put ourselves in the middle of everything, the middle of the story. And you've seen that shift even in the songs that we sing. And I was talking to Flo as we were planning for today. I said, hey, let's put the focus this morning on the awesomeness of God, the worship of God, everything more about you and him rather than me and my or I am. And here's the thing. Here's the shift that even happened a couple years ago. Uh, and you all know I love studying culture, especially church culture. 
Um, I was able to go to Max Lucado, uh, the church pastor Max Lucado, Oak Hills Church, a large, predominantly white mega church. And then I went to the second service. I went to a good friend of mine who pastors a black Baptist church. And then that afternoon, I was invited by a friend of a friend to a charismatic revival church, all right? A Pentecostal church I went to. And here's a theme that I saw through all three of those churches. And this is about 15 years ago. I found this, that all the churches sang, I'm a friend of God. Now the rhythm and the beats and all that were a little bit different, but they all sang Israel Houghton's song, I'm a friend of God. Maybe it was like 10 years ago. I'm a friend of God. They all sang that song. But here's the issue with that song. I've got no qualms of being a friend of God, but singing that song, it makes it sound like God is Oprah Winfrey and he's handing out friendship with God cards. You're a friend of God. You're a friend of God. You're a friend of God. You're a friend. Everyone's a friend of God, right? When if we look at John 15, 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if, does anybody know it? You do what I command you. Even James chapter two, referring back to Abraham, who's called the friend of God, it was because Abraham believed God and he obeyed God out of that faith in God. It was tied to obedience. So again, God's not just handing out friendship cards. You're my friend, you're my, you're my friend. Like the song makes it sound to sing, it makes it sound like. God is saying, hey, if you have put your faith in me, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, you're saved, you're forgiven. He says, and then out of a, a, a obedience, a love and a fear of me, you obey me out of just demonstrating your trust in me. He says, then if you do that, you're a friend of God. But again, the song has become much more meocentric. When we sing it, we raise our hands and it makes us feel good. But again, the focus is on God and his lordship and us obeying him. So here's the thing. The question today from Nehemiah chapter five is this. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? And I've mentioned this already that this is a continuing theme of the Old Testament. And let me give you a definition of what that is. Walking in the fear of God is a serious respect for God and his authority that leads us to obeying his word and treating our neighbor with kindness and integrity. Walking the fear of God, the definition, can you put that up? I've got a slide for that, I believe, Ben. Walking the fear of God, a serious respect for God and his authority that leads us to obeying his word and treating our neighbor with kindness and integrity. That's the general theme in the Old Testament. When they say, do you fear God? That's what it means. It says it's a respect, a serious respect, taking God and his word seriously. That doesn't just lead us to singing great songs and raising our hands, but it's seen in the way we treat our neighbor. And that's what we're going to look at today from Nehemiah chapter five is what are the signs that you respect or take God seriously? And here's the thing. I don't want any of us to miss this is you may be missing out on the blessings that God has to offer you the rewards that God has to offer you simply because you're not taking God serious. So what are the signs of taking God serious? Look at Nehemiah 5, verse 1. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Like I mentioned, this is what I'll be preaching from during this Nehemiah series. About this time, some of the men and their wives raise a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They're saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. Others said... We have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. Others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So this is what happens. Let me give you the history lesson here, that... 
there were three waves during the exile. And so some people have already come back. Some Jews have come back from Persian or Babylonian exile. And they are wealthy. And some of them are leaders. They're city council people and even governors. And they've used their position, their influence, and their resources, rather than to help their other Jewish countrymen, their brothers and sisters, rather than helping them, they've used their influence and resources to benefit themselves. They'll have these farmers that come and they're struggling and they can't even afford to buy seed for the next season. So they'll say, look, I'll loan you some money at 20% interest so that when you come harvest, you can pay me back. They said, you know what? If you can't make ends meet now, hey, how about this? Mortgage your land and the money you get from that, you give it to me. And if you can't pay on that, then the land is mine. Hey, if the land is mine and you can't afford that, I'll take your kids and they'll work for me forever. You can sell your kids to me for slavery, into slavery. And that's what they were doing. And that's what these Jewish people are complaining about to Nehemiah, who's now the governor of Judah. He doesn't like that either. All right. So what happens? What happens? He says, uh, Verse six, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry, just like that baby. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have to, who've had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, probably the Persians. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in the defense. Verse nine. Then I press further. What you are doing is not right. And underline this part. Should you not walk in the fear of God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? Verse 10. I myself as well, my brothers and my workers have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charge them when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Verse 12, they replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. So he called the priests because they said, hey, make this commitment for God. He says in verse 13, I shook out the folds of my robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. So there's a good leadership principle here for many of you all who are perhaps in leadership in schools or in uh, the workplace. So what Nehemiah does is first he points out the problem, verse eight. Then he gives a solution in verses nine through 11. And then he asks for a commitment from the people in verse 12. And then he also warns them of the consequences in verse 13. So I think that's a great thing. He points out the problem, gives a solution. He asks for a commitment. So it's not just knowing about the solution of giving back the land and all this, the, the homes and stuff, but also a commitment to do it. And he says, and if you don't, you've made this commitment before God. So here's point number one. Our fear of God is seen in our obedience to God's word, how we use our influence and resources and how we treat our neighbor. So he says there again in verse nine, he says in verse nine, he says, should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? He says, your fear of God, your respect, you're taking God and his word seriously is going to be seen in three things. Do you obey God's word? And they were obviously not obeying God's word. And I'll show you those scriptures they were not obeying here in a second. 
He says, and how you use your influence and resources. These wealthy Jews are using their influences and resources to benefit themselves. If they were political leaders or regional leaders, they were using that to tax the people heavily. They were getting in more and more debt. They were having them acquire their homes and their land. They were using it to benefit themselves. And ultimately, he says, and how you treat your neighbor. So what's the scripture they're uh, disobeying? One of them is this, Exodus twenty-two twenty-five. Exodus twenty-two twenty-five basically says, when you get in the promised land, he says, do not charge your fellow Jews interest. You can loan them money. And that's what I think in verse 10, Nehemiah's doing. Nehemiah's got the money and the resources. He's saying, even me and my, my friends, we lent money out, but we did it, I believe in the, the context here, charging no interest because he says, the us here in verse 10, he shifts it in verse 11 to now you. So I believe he's saying not us as in all of us, he's saying us as in y'all. And then he says, because you all need to give back the land. You all need to give back the homes. Exodus 22, 25. The other one is this, Deuteronomy 23, 19 through 20. Deuteronomy 23, 19 through 20. Again, living in the promised land, living in this community. He says, again, do not charge your fellow countrymen interest. If they come on hard times, don't charge them interest. He says, it's all right to loan money, but don't charge them interest. Look at this. Look at Leviticus 25. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Third book in the Bible. Leviticus 25. Verse 35. So again, our fear of God is seeing our obedience to God's word, how we use our influence and resources and how we treat our neighbor. Leviticus 25, 35. If you're there, would you say amen? If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or temporary resident, allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show you uh, your fear of God. Underline that. It says, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lend him or make a profit on food you sell him. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Treat him instead as a hired worker or as a temporary resident who lives with you, and he will serve you only until the year of Jubilee, when people who are set free. At that time, he and his children will no longer be obligated to you, and they will return to their clans and go back to the land originally allotted to their ancestors. The people of Israel and my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, so they must never be sold as slaves. Show your fear of God by not treating them harshly. So there in that text, he addresses those two issues that Nehemiah says, you've charged interest to make profit off your own countrymen, your people of your own faith community. And on top of that, he says, they sold themselves in slavery and you treat them as slaves. He said, that should not be. And he ties both of those things. Did you see that in the text? to the fear of God. Now I know we're not Israel. We're not Israel, but we are the body of Christ. We're the church. And that's what God has called us to do as well is obviously to obey God's word. If we really fear God, respect God, take God seriously. And here's the thing. Uh, you all know this. I get comments regularly in my preaching and people always say to me, you're funny. And, and so, yes, I like to tell jokes and I'm a guy, funny, funny guy at our prayer meeting uh, on Thursday at 6.15 a.m. The elders get together. Spring Branch elders, the first like two or three minutes, we're joking around, making fun of each other's bedhead and things like that. 
But when it comes down to prayer time, we take it serious. We get into the word of God. We pray and we listen and we go through the prayer requests. Because again, we don't take ourselves too serious, but we take ministry very seriously. And we take what we do very seriously as well. And that's what he's saying here is that we should obey God. And as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we use our influence and our resources, not to benefit ourselves, but to benefit others, to bless others, to bless the body of Christ, to benefit the body of Christ. And we treat our neighbors, we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So that's what we do because of our fear or our respect for God. Here's the thing, um, and you know this, it seems like in America today, and I know there's been an abuse of authority, but there is a general lack of respect for authority. Amen? I don't know about you all, but I've seen it in the classroom. I've seen it in the boardroom. I've seen it in, in, in uh, the living room. I've seen kids disrespect their parents. I've seen kids disrespect coaches and teachers. I've seen employees disrespect their boss. I've seen staff disrespect church leaders. I've seen this, and again, I know there's been abuse. I'm not saying we need to abuse. That's totally wrong. But there's been this general sense. And the ultimate reason I believe is this, is because we no longer fear God. We've domesticated God. We've, we've, we've basically made God this nice tame cat that's on our lap that we just say, nice God, when I need something, God, I'll call on you. We've tried to domesticate him and tame him, and there's no longer this reverential fear. We no longer quote verses like, our God is a consuming fire. But we do quote God as love all the time. Um, I was shopping um, two days ago, and y'all seen this. If you've been in uh, the grocery store or the um, department, store, the department store, there's little signs along the racks, and they'll say, smile, you're on camera. Hey, security cameras are watching you. And there's a little picture of a security camera, and there's, they got it, and they say, basically, you're watching. We're watching you. Some, some even say, hey, we've got security cameras, and we prosecute shoplifters. And this is the message that's being sent. This is the message being sent. As you're shopping in our store, looking at our merchandise, as you're in this aisle, looking at this equipment or these clothes, someone with authority is watching you. So watch yourself. Watch what you do. Watch what your hands do because there's someone with authority who's watching you. Someone who can hold you accountable to what you do is watching you. Many years ago in my BC days, I remember we were in high school and I grew up in uh, California, grew up on the beach, and we were into skimboarding. And so we made our own skimboards. And I remember we put our own custom stickers on these skimboards. And a friend of mine said, you know what? Um, some of these clothes like Quicksilver and Gotcha, they come with stickers. And so me and a couple of friends, we went to the mall and we began to tear the stickers off the tag. So there's like a sticker for Quicksilver and all that. I didn't tear any off. I was like, I was too afraid because... I wasn't afraid of the cameras. I was afraid of my mom and dad, all right? So finally, like, we're there, and, and my friends are taking stickers, and they're putting them in their pockets, and then this guy in this suit, the sport coat, comes up to us and says, hey, can I see you, uh, gentlemen, for a second? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And he takes us in this back room, security cameras all along the wall, pushes play, and he says, is this you? Is this you? And he's looking at my friends, and he just sees them taking their stickers. And he says, look, we could call the police. We could prosecute. We could do all this stuff, but you know what? We're going to let you go. 
but your name is going to be on this list. And if we ever catch you doing this again, we will prosecute. And so they let us go that day. And this is what I thought about. Whenever you see a sign in the department store, in the store, it says, smile, you're on camera. You're under security surveillance. This parking lot is under security surveillance. Again, it's saying someone with authority is watching you. This is what Psalm 139 says. Psalm 139 says, wherever you go, wherever you are, whether it's in public or in your own bedroom, God is watching you. God sees everything you do. And don't think that you're going to get away with it. He's going to hold you accountable for everything you do. God, who has all authority, is everywhere present. And he's watching you. And that's what the message of Nehemiah. Nehemiah basically says, you know, you may have thought you increased your wealth and nobody saw you. But God sees you. And so his question to them and his question to us is this, is do you fear God? And you're saying, well, isn't that like an Old Testament thing about, you know, Moses going to the mountain and all that? Philippians 2.12, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, fear and trembling. In Revelation 14, we see this, that the tribulation is about to end and it's going to be like the ultimate end, end. And so what does God do? He sends three angels and one of the angels, the first one in Revelation 14, it says that he proclaimed from the heavens. And I don't know if it's through radio or from internet or literally he's out in the heavens proclaiming. And the first two words in his gospel presentation is fear God, fear God. And you and I know that when we trusted Jesus Christ, it required fearing God. I'm not adding works to any of this stuff. I'm basically saying you had to take God seriously. You had to take your sin seriously. You had to take the consequences, separation from God, seriously. You had to take his offer of Jesus Christ seriously. So this isn't just an Old Testament thing. This is a Bible thing. And I feel like we've lost that. And I, I pray for this, that I pray that there would be a holy awe, a fear, a reverential respect for God that falls on this body known as Bay City Fellowship. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like? Go back to Nehemiah 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. He says uh, at the end of verse 13, the whole assembly responded, amen, and they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Again, because now they feared God, there is an obedience to God's word. Verse 14, for the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine. Besides, 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. Underline that. That's the memory verse. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. That's the memory verse. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table besides all the visitors from other lands, the provisions I paid for. I had the resources. I had the influence. Rather than taxing the people, rather than having the people do it, he says, the provisions I pay for each day included Jacob von Cannon, 
one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember, oh my God, all that I've done for these people and bless me for it. Here's point number two. Point number two is the same thing. Our fear of God is seen in obedience to God's word. How we use our influence and resources and how we treat our neighbor. It's this perfect foil. He says, here are the rich Jews that came back, perhaps in the first wave of the exile, who are now taking advantage of their poor Jewish neighbors, benefiting themselves, mistreating their neighbor. And this is what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah says, because I feared God. I didn't do this. I didn't act this way. He says, instead, because I feared God, I fed all 150 people. I continued to work on the wall. He says, I didn't acquire land. I didn't see poor farmers who are deeply in debt saying, you know what? I'm going to take their land. He didn't do that. He says, I stay focused on the mission and I use my resources and my influence not to benefit myself, but to benefit the overall plan of God and to benefit my neighbor. So point number one and two are the exact same thing. We see, again, the rich Jewish folks who misuse those things because they didn't fear God. And Nehemiah says, and he says to us, do you fear God? And if you fear God, that's going to be seen in your obedience to God's word, both in private and public. When you're behind your computer, when you're at work, when you're at home, in your bedroom, in your living room, when you're here, in the boardroom, wherever you are, he says, your fear is going to be seen by your obedience, even if it comes at a high cost. It's going to be see how, seen in how you use your influence and resources, the money that you have, the gifts that you have, the position that you have. If you're a VP, if you're a CEO, if you're a manager, are you using your position to now benefit and bless others? And then how are you treating your neighbor, especially those neighbors who can do absolutely nothing for you? Even those neighbors that perhaps you would call an enemy. How are you treating your neighbor? He says, if you want a barometer, a marker, on if you fear God, he says, that's where it is. That's where it is. Uh, and again, we have domesticated God. If you remember this scene from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Susan asked Mr. Beaver about Aslan. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies this way. He says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good, and he's the king. And we've got to remember that, that we serve the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But we also serve the Lion of Judah. And he's not a tame kitty cat. He is not safe, but he's good, and he's the king. And again, our respect, our taking God seriously is seen, and again, our obedience to God's word, private and public, and how we use our resources and our influence and how we treat our neighbor. Uh, let me give a word to the parents. I see uh, quite a few parents in here and future parents. One thing that we can teach our kids is this, is to respect authority, is to respect authority. I'm not saying illegitimate authority. I'm not saying when authority asks you to do something that's unbiblical and ungodly. I'm not saying that. But Ephesians 6 tells us we need to honor our father and mother. And I know all parents want that. But it starts with teaching our kids to honor, respect, and fear God. Here, here's like two ways you can do that. One of them is this. 
One of them is, is how do we grow in our fear and respect and honor of God? And it has to do with revelation, when God reveals himself. So the first one is through general revelation. Romans chapter one, general revelation. Is here's a premise of science. The creation is never greater than the creator. You and I will never create anything greater than ourselves because the creation is never greater than the creator. So here's it's something you can do as you go on vacation, as you go on and you're at the top of Half Dome and you're looking at all across Yosemite Valley and the grandeur of that to know that that is great and immense. And yet even in that, God is far greater. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens preach the glory of God. You go out tonight and hopefully it's a clear night and you see all the stars and maybe even see some planets. And with all the almost infinite level of stars, God the creator is far greater. And that should make you shake in your boots. That should make you tremble. Or you can do it through special revelation. Special revelations. General revelation is Romans 1, Psalm 19. You can just go out in creation and with the greatness of creation, knowing that God is far greater. You didn't birth yourself. You didn't create yourself. You didn't save yourself. You determined nothing about the gifts you were born with. You didn't determine your parents. Didn't determine your skin color. Didn't determine where you were born. You didn't any of that stuff. God the creator did. Special revelation, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We get to know God and his attributes by reading God's word. By reading God's word. You cannot grow in your fear, your respect for God. Taking God seriously if you are not in God's word on a regular basis. You cannot. Because God has revealed himself, his attributes, his nature through his word. Let me give you two recommendations off that. There's a book a classic book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you want to know the attributes of God, the character of God summarized and put together from Scripture, Knowing God by J.I. Packer is a classic, classic book. The other one is this, God Himself, A Journey Through His Attributes. It was released by Dr. Tony Evans. This came out about four or five months ago. God Himself is another book that, again, takes the attributes and character of God and my prayer is that as you read books like that, as you engage in scripture and you say, God is, and this is such an overused word, awesome. God is truly awesome. Keeps me in wonder. Up here, I'm down here. He's creator. I'm creation. He's redeemer. I'm the redeemed. He's the king. I'm the servant. He's sovereign. And I'm his. So parents, teach your kids to respect authority and namely teach them to respect and fear God. But you have to do it not only with your lips, but you have to do it with your life. You have to do it with your lips as you talk about the Bible, as you engage in church and are active in church life, but you have to do it with your life as well. It makes very little difference. More is caught than taught. If you tell your kids, respect your teacher, respect God, respect your parents, respect your grandparents, respect the pastor, you can say all those things. But around the dinner table, if you're sitting there with your kids, how's your day? How's your day? And you say, man, my boss is such a clueless idiot. I don't know why he is even the CEO. He couldn't even work in the mail room. As your kids hear you disrespecting your boss, 
Even though with your mouth you may say, respect authority, honor authority. What they're hearing is, I don't know, dad or mom doesn't seem to do that. When you're on the dinner table, lunch table today, and you say, man, those elders at Bayou City Fellowship, can they get anything right? Man, it seems like one thing after another, they're just fumbling and fumbling. And your kids may hear, respect God, respect legitimate authority. But when they hear you say, disrespect the elders, disrespect the boss, does your teacher and principal even have a clue what they're doing? They're getting a mixed message on. And so parents, it's not just with your lips. It's also with your life as well. Teach your king, uh, kids to honor authority. Uh, here's a verse I found in my devotions this week. Uh, Leviticus 19.32. Don't need to turn there. Leviticus 19.32. Leviticus 19.32. God says to us as a people of God, when the older man or woman, the senior, walks into the room, walks in the community group, everyone stand as a show of respect. Respect your elders. Why, he says, and he ties it, because you fear the Lord. You fear the Lord. He says, you may know more about TikTok and Google and YouTube than they may know, but they've got something that you can't find on TikTok. They've got something you cannot find on Google. You cannot find on social media. If they've walked with the Lord for a long time and they fear the Lord, they've got wisdom that you don't have. So he says, out of that, out of a reverence and respect for God, when someone who is older, who's a godly man or woman, enters a room, you stand up out of respect because you respect God. So here's the big idea for today. Our respect for our God is seen in our regard for our neighbor. Our respect for our God is seen in our regard for our neighbor. If you reverence, respect, and fear God, and I pray that this church would grow in that, that when we gather to worship even if it's not your song, even if it's a song that you're like, I don't like this song, don't like the style, you're so here to worship because you respect and you're in awe and wonder of God. That you say, you know what, I've sinned. And rather than holding on to sin and being unrepentant, you say, God, I let it go. You're a holy God, I repent of it, I turn from it. Here's the thing, you cannot fear God. You cannot fear God and hold on to sin. You can't. You cannot fear God respect and take God seriously and be in unrepentant sin. In a second here, we're gonna have our prayer team up and they're gonna pray. And if you're here today and you wanna put your faith in Christ, you wanna take your sins seriously and take God's offer seriously, they're gonna be up here. If you are a Christian today and you're realizing, you know what? I've used my influence and my wealth, my resources to benefit myself. I've not done anything. I've not given to the local church. And what I get is so piddly. They're gonna be up here as well. And if you're in unrepentant sin, they would love to join you in prayer over that as well. So our respect for our God is seen in our regard for our neighbor. That's the message, the central message of Nehemiah chapter five. Uh, an example is this, Ananias and Sapphira from Acts. They had no fear of God, and so they lied to the apostles. They were willing to lie. All right, not an easy message to preach. Thank you all for listening. Um, so I am Japanese American. Here's some stereotypes. The questions I was, I was uh, talking to a member here of Bicey Fellowship who's Asian. I said, do you ever have people ask you this? You know, do you know karate? 
Don't know karate. <laughs> do you like sushi? Really? Yeah, kind of, you know. Do you watch anime? Do you read manga? Not really, you know. Um, here's another question I get asked regularly. So several years ago, uh, when I was a church planter and bivocational guy, I was a personal trainer, and I, I looked at where I train people, my clients and my coworkers, not as just clients and coworkers, but as a mission field. People that God loved and people that God was calling to take their sin seriously. And so uh, I invite two of my coworkers, two other personal trainers over for dinner, a guy named James and a young lady. Her name is, uh, they called her, her real name is Guadalupe, but they call her Gabby, I believe. And so Gabby and James came over. Well, Gabby brought her boyfriend at the time over as well. He was actually from Houston. We were in San Antonio and he was a big motorcycle rider. And so imagine you're a big motorcycle rider. You're invited in the home of this Japanese American guy. And so he asked this question, do you ride? And I said, I don't ride. And he said, have you ever heard of the Hayabusa? And I'm like, what's a Hayabusa? What, what is that? You know, Busa. And I'm like, what is that? And he said, well, the Hayabusa is the peregrine falcon, the Japanese peregrine falcon. In a dive, it can reach almost 200 miles an hour. And Suzuki has just come out with a new motorcycle called the Hayabusa. It's called the Busa. And I'm like, okay, okay, I think I've heard of it. So just because I'm Japanese, I don't ride a Kawasaki, Suzuki, Honda, or Yamaha, all right, to just get that straight. And he's describing riding a Busa. And he's like, man, I got this Busa, and I'll be on I-10 or on the tollway. You know, and he says, because it has 173 horsepower, Man, he says it's, it's the fastest production motorcycle. You can go faster than you've ever dreamed of going. Zero to 60 in about two and a half seconds. Quarter mile in around 10 seconds. For those of you who don't follow speed stuff, you, you don't even know what that means. It goes very fast. He says you can go faster than you've ever gotten. You can go farther and you'll experience freedom like you've never experienced. You'll be freer than ever. You can dip and weave through traffic. Even during rush hour, I just go through. He says, because of the Busa and its power, he says, you can experience fast freedom, go farther, all those things because of this. And he says, and here's the thing. I mean, you're literally just clinging to this thing. You're hugging this thing. You're hugging the power. You're holding onto it and just hugging this thing in an intimate relationship with the Busa. But then this is what he told me. This is what he told me. And let me just mention this. And this is ties in the sermon. Don't worry, y'all. <laughs> he said, Icky, don't ever lose respect for that bike, though. Don't ever lose respect for all the power that's there. Because he says, as I'm riding, experiencing freedom like I've never experienced, fast speed as I've never experienced, going farther than I've ever gone, he says, the moment I lose respect for all that power that I'm in a close relationship with, I'm face down in a ditch. I'm sitting in a jail cell. The moment I lose respect for all that power that I'm in an intimate relationship with, that's taking me faster and farther than I've ever gone, giving me freedom, the moment I lose respect, I'm plowed in the back of a semi-truck or I'm in a jail cell. Bing, it dawned on me. That's our relationship with God. You are in an intimate relationship, not with 173 horsepower, but with the all-powerful God through Jesus Christ, the God who everything that you see and everything you don't see created. 
You're in an intimate relationship with God. And this is what a relationship with God will do. It will give you liberty and freedom like you've never experienced before. It will take you farther in life and faster in life than you've ever gone before. I've told people this, that when you become a disciple, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, it's a roller coaster ride. It's a thrill ride. It's awesome. But here's the thing, like this guy said, and I remember his name. His name is Corinthian. Corinthian from Houston. Corinthian said to me, but don't ever lose respect for all that power that you're connected to. And that's the message. Do you fear the Lord? Do you respect God, the all-powerful God who has all authority? Don't ever lose that respect. Don't ever lose that respect. Know that you are in an intimate relationship with an all-powerful God. And again, our fear, our respect for God is seen in our obedience to God's word, how we use our influence and resources, and how we treat our neighbor. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful uh, for Jesus Christ, for uh, on the cross, Jesus was the propitiation, big word, he absorbed your wrath on our behalf. And because of that, because of his sacrifice, we can have an intimate relationship with you. We can cling to you. The sin problem was dealt, dealt with, both past, present, and future. So God, we, we treat our worship gathering, our lives as clinging to you, holding tight to you. And God, as we do that, we know that you will take us so far. You'll give us freedom, true freedom, we think being enslaved to sin gives us freedom, but Romans would teach us that now being enslaved to you, being a servant of you, we will experience freedom like we've never experienced it before. Freedom as was designed to be, to do all that you have called us to do. But God, just like uh, that rider on that Hayabusa, there has to be a constant awareness of a respect for you, your power, your authority. God, you're the lion, not that tame kitty cat, that house cat, that domesticated cat. God, you're a lion, but you're good. You're the king. So God, I pray for this body. I pray for myself, God. I pray specifically, we pray that we would grow in taking you seriously, that we would grow in our reverence, our respect for you, that we would not delineate, make lines saying, well, this is a private sin that nobody sees and it doesn't hurt anybody. But God, we would know that you're the omnipresent God. You're right there. You see everything. And God, that should make us tremble. So God, I pray, Philippians 2.12, over this body, over this church family, that we would not work for our salvation, but we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God, as people walk through these doors, as people come to our community groups, as people enter into our cubicle, 
our living room, right next to us at the soccer game. That they would say that saying that has been said for hundreds of years that has now become defunct, that has now become not very popular. That this man, this woman is a God-fearing man. This woman is a God-fearing woman. And I know that and I see that because they have a radical obedience out of a love for Jesus, a radical obedience to God's word. Even if it costs them a sale, even if it costs them a client. And God, I see how they use their influence and their resources, their home, their position, their wealth, their network. God, not just to bless themselves and benefit themselves, but God, to be a blessing to the kingdom, to benefit others and benefit especially those who are in need. And God, would they say that we're a God-fearing man or God-fearing woman, giving all glory to you because of how we treat our neighbor. And especially those neighbors who can do nothing for us in return. God, would you make us a body? Would you make us a church family like that? And God, I do pray if there's anyone here today who's yet to put their faith in Jesus, the table today, that they would take you seriously. They would take your offer of Jesus Christ seriously. That they would take this, their sin and the consequences of their sin seriously. And God, they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. God, we're saved, we're delivered, we're forgiven simply by our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So today would be the day, God, that they place their faith in Christ. And God, we ask all this with all love and respect and fear and trembling. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Prayer team, if you can come on up on the left and right. Uh, there's a prayer need that you have. They'd love to pray for you. Uh, also, there's an app, and on the app, if you'd submit a prayer request, again, we pray every Thursday morning for your request. We'd we would love to join you in praying with you and for you. Thank you.